Amazing. What great friends. So great to see Robert and Chris. And now we are live in the studio. We've got some friends sitting right here. Some friends, you know, you can only get them on Zoom. Some friends you can't even get on Zoom. And other friends fly in from, you know, like New York and Miami and, of course, drive down uh, the street here in L.A., the, the living legend. I just want to make sure everybody understands who is in the house tonight. We have none other than Carl Lentz, Hillsong, New York City in the house, one of my best friends. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, wins glasses of the night. Just walked in. I was like, You're, yeah, you won. The glasses are on fire tonight. Devon Franklin is in the house. Speaking of New York Times bestsellers. New York Times bestseller. He is an author. He is an actor. He's a director. He's a writer. He is Superman is here. But uh, he's the greatest. We love you so much. Thank you for being here. You are a house favorite. Zoe loves you. You're the man. And you are LA's finest. So thank you for being here. And none other than board member of Zoe Church. The philosopher. The theologian himself. The man with the greatest mustache on stage tonight. Rich Wilkerson Jr. is in the house. Everybody make some noise. Pastor Rich is here. Pastor Rich, how are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling great, man. I feel like tonight what's important is that we all play our role. And tonight I feel like I want to be the guy who sits on a couch all night in this position. It's like yeah. there's no reason for it, right, man. It's like, right. No, I just, it's, I'm being me. You know, I'm being me. And that's a big part about leadership, Chad, is that you got to be authentic to who you are. So I sit like this. This is one of the ways that I get creative. This is yeah. one of the ways that I'm innovative. Right. Posture. And we can talk about that a little bit. Body language, people don't talk a lot about it anymore, but it's a big deal when it comes to leading people. How do you stand? How do you sit? What do you wear? All these things, yeah. I'm going to talk about it later on in this show. But I'm, I'm glad to be here, man. Thanks for having us. I, first of all, res I respect the flexibility, the fact that you can sit like that. No, honestly, because of my COVID body right now, it's actually much harder than you can imagine. <laughs> Shout out to all the COVID bodies out there. Like I'm doing that all night. Put, put it in the chat. If you got a COVID bond, raise your hand. Okay. You know what's cool, Chad? Being here tonight, Devon and I, we met over 10 years ago on a show where I interviewed Devon, and we haven't seen each other in a decade. And now it's like, man, we're sitting right next to each other. We're social distancing, but honestly, our spirits have never been more connected. <laughs> well, uh, I look like, forward so to <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Well, I look forward to hearing more about you. you you're clearly just on fire tonight, so we're going to have a great, fantastic party. By the way, you are at a party tonight. Yes. So I need you to get Thursday some popcorn. Night. Get some Twizzlers. Thirsty Thursday. If we were at the house right now and yep. you were you were watching at your house, let's I, say you weren't yep. here at the Ministry Center, what would you get to eat? Like what, Devon? I feel like you'd have like maybe kale, a cucumber. No, that's what Carl would eat. Yeah. <laughs> a lemon. I'm good, man. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. Which, by the way, Carl just introduced me backstage. I'm a big Haribo guy. I got a sugar problem. That's another story as well. But he just introduced me to, I guess it's an L.A. thing. It hasn't gotten all the way over the East Coast. These gummy bears that are three grams of sugar. Talk it's about pretty that. unreal. It's what pretty unreal. What are these? One of our friends is even sponsored by them. They send Judah uh, packages of these things. And I'm trying to get on that level. How do you get sponsored Help. by a gummy bear? Yeah, you, you, it's like when you, you talk about it at shows like this, oh, okay, and then yeah. I think it will it will help us. Okay, I want to go to yeah, we're going to bring it. tonight. We got a lot of guests coming uh, tonight. Joe Olstein stopping by. Yes, we got Hannah who? Ann stopping by. Joe, who? We got um, Scott Disick is stopping by. We've got so many amazing people stopping by still. But I want to talk uh, with our group that's here live. By the way, thanks again for being here. The book is broken into three sections. We talk about uh, first how to lead yourself, then how to lead people, and then how to lead groups. I, I think you guys, you three, are three of, in my opinion, the finest leaders in the country, in the world. You guys are world class. You guys are unbelievable communicators, unbelievable humans, and I think you embody the spirit and the attitude of this book. Help I work with people is not that negative, like, ugh, help I work with people. Mm. You came into New York and said, how can we help? How can we serve? We love people. We're going to do our best to serve them. Rich started a, a church in Miami. Uh, some said he couldn't because he didn't speak Spanish, but God believed in him anyways. And he's, that's an old story anyways. Yeah. But, but, but 
came in and added value and been serving your city for 15, 16 years, just serving and loving people. And just unbelievable to see what's happening. Devon, I love seeing the stories and the old pictures of you and Will Smith back in the day and just starting to see the trajectory of your life. You guys are here because of the way you treat people. Surely you've got a, a God-given talent that you've worked hard to develop your craft and who you are. But talk to me. All of you are very self-motivated, self-disciplined leaders. Talk to me about the hardest person to lead, and that's you. How have you figured out to discipline yourself to lead yourself well? Carl, maybe you, you, you could start first. Um, I'm going to deflect to Devon in a moment, but I will say... <laughs> I just want to just talk about the author for a moment because I'm a huge believer in, um, you know, reading things written by people who do what they say. And right now there's so many books out that, you know, it's cool. Everybody has a right to write a book, uh, but there's something to be said for actually living a book. And, and you do a lot of things well. But when it comes to treating people with honor and respect and dignity and class and humility, there's just nobody better. And so I'm excited. I've loved all the books that you have put out, um, obviously. But this one's cool because I just would encourage people if they haven't got it. Um, it it's like, you know, if, if Kobe would have put out a book about his, his work ethic, if LeBron wants to talk about, you know, what he's eating that creates yeah. his robotic body, um, right. you know, you want to listen. And to me, when I think about um, help, I work with people like I've, I you and I over the years have worked together to try to help a lot of people yeah. but there's some things you're just better than anybody at and so I just I just would say firstly I'm just really really excited about this book I know you, you haven't done it for any other reason than to actually help people and it's, it's important that people know that I think when it comes to leading yourself um, it's encouraging because you can always get better and the better we are, the better we can help people. And I think sometimes we skip over ourselves and try to help people with stuff that we don't even have in our own soul. And it's a really short leadership journey. So for me, if I want to help people be uh, more encouraging, I got to start with my own self and, and check, am I, am I encouraging myself? Am I allowing God to actually do something in my life before I try to give out? And I think if you really want to lead people well, um, you have to start you know, with yourself. And sometimes people don't want to do that. Because if you ever cleaned, started to clean something, and then halfway through you're like, this was a bad idea, because there's way too much to clean. And then you just shut the closet. That's what it can be like if you start looking inside. And so there's a lot of people walking around with some shut doors. And I think this is the best time ever in a pandemic to get a book like this, because when we do come back up for air, what if you were a drastically different leader? What if you learn something? And this book is filled with stuff like, so you know, just practical ways to, to lead yourself better. And I think it's just really encouraging. It's a perfect time. But for me, it's just having the guts to say, all right, before I start trying to, we have a phrase at our church, it's less fingers, more thumbs. Wow. So before I start going this way, let me just look here first. And uh, it, it, it can really, it can change lives because you're, you know, in the business of changing your own. That's amazing. I think somebody needs to put that in the chat. Less fingers, more thumbs. That is fantastic. Yeah. So Shout well said. We, Smith, who has said yeah. that first. The wow. first guy heard it. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So, so good. Devon, what comes to mind for you? Um, you know, listen, it's, it's, I think it's much easier to lead people than it is yourself. Um, because it's very easy to to be deceived into thinking that leadership is about people, right? Because it's like, oh, yeah, I can project onto somebody, oh, do this, do that, become this, become that, at the expense of looking in the mirror and saying, who am I becoming? You know, and as a leader, the hardest thing that I've learned is like, okay, I am really an inauthentic person if I try to get somebody to do the work that I'm not doing myself. So, you know, the hardest part is for me, you know, like literally like it's, it's like one thing. OK, yeah, I want to be successful and want to be in position of power and all that, you know, has been great. But then what I realized was in my own personal life that the moment that I stopped looking in and trying to figure out what's wrong with me, I plateaued, wow. you know, and so it was like, all right, where am I missing it? Right. And so so often where I was missing it is. I'm putting, see, we're all at a level because of the time that we put in, right? The time, the experience, so on and so forth. One of the most damaging things as a leader that I have experienced is when I try to put what I have qualified myself to do onto somebody else. Wow. So what happens is that works for me because that's what I need to grow. 
but I put it on to someone else who isn't there yet and I crush them. And then I get mad at them. How can you not do this? What's wrong with you? The problem is not them. It's me. And so what I've had to learn as a leader is that the hardest thing is to say, okay, what are the areas in myself that I just, I know I'm messing up. I know, like for real, like, yo, I know I'm, because here's the thing. If I'm hard on others, it's because I'm hard on me. So the biggest thing that I've had to learn is to fix my own internal dialogue. You know, I'm the middle child of three boys. I'm raised, you know, raised middle child of three boys. My father died when I was nine years old. He died of a heart attack when he was 36. So, so my internal dialogue has been very negative. You're not good enough. What's wrong with you? No, you're never going to make it. It's not, no, stop it. Like, you're, no, who do you think you are? So as a leader, I've had to learn how to change that. So good. Because as long as that dialogue was there, it didn't matter. You talk yeah. about Will Smith, didn't matter that I, I'm working with Will Smith, didn't matter that I'm having this wow. job and success. That voice was still there. there wow. So working on that voice so to change the narrative so that as a leader, I can look in the mirror and actually love who looks back at me. Because wow. how can I love my neighbor if I don't love yeah. myself? How can I lead my neighbor right. if I'm not loving myself? So well said. Before Richie talks, um, I wanted to bounce off what you just said. You can wait. Do you want to get Indian style to prepare? <laughs> I think, no, to what you're saying, Devon, I think that, you know, for Laura and I, my, my wife's here with me, I think, you know, anytime you're a leader and you try to walk somebody through something, it's hollow if you haven't done it yourself. That's right. So before we ever challenge our church to do something, it's like, well, yeah. before we ask everybody to pray, yeah. you know, as a couple, are, are we praying? And That's I think right. that that That's level right. of empathy only comes through. It's kind of like when you go to a hairdresser and they have awful hair. <laughs> or you go to a personal trainer who's woefully out of shape. You're like, man, I, I, it might be good, but you're not doing any of the stuff. There's something to be said for leaders. It gives you a different level of empathy. And I think what I see in churches a lot or people who try to lead. Have you ever tried to walk through trauma? You know, have you ever tried to like before you encourage somebody to get up, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Have you ever actually taken the time to know what that's like? You know, try on those boots pull up those straps you know and i think that to me that's why looking at yourself first is so effective because you can look at people and say this is going to be hard i've done this i've got the scars i've got the blood on the ground to show you and if i can do it you can do it i want to follow somebody like that not somebody who's giving me a theory there it is, there it is. that is so good uh rich yeah incredible i mean i i think ultimately the idea of leading yourself that that's always the hardest person to lead and just the concept you know i think we all teach and preach and speak. And uh, we have a little model and the idea is like, I don't ever want my preaching to be better than my living. And so the power is not in the presentation. The power is always like what Carl said is in the participation that I, I'm, I'm a part of the thing that I'm sharing. And I think on my journey of leadership, because I think your question is about the idea, how have you led yourself and whatnot? And the way that I look at leadership is I, I really believe that leadership is the ability to take someone to a place that many times they didn't even want to go, but when they get there, they thank you. And ultimately, I think when I'm looking at my life, I've gone to places and hopefully by God's grace been able to accomplish certain things that even at at the first look of it, I was like, I don't want to do that. That's too difficult. And I think when I'm trying to get down to the, the ground of where does that come from, I think it always comes for me from vision, which is the idea, vision is this picture that God gives us of a future that doesn't exist. I think God gives us pictures uh, of the future so we can endure many times the pain of the present. And so I think for my life, ultimately, I'm always trying to get vision in front of me about who am I, I like that word, becoming. And that's really the word that we've been landing on a whole lot. Shout out to Michelle Obama in uh, 2020 for us. But like, I think it's a powerful word because all of like, no one in here is, is done growing, hopefully. Like you don't just, there's not a finish line. There's, you know, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it out unto completion. The finish line is when we get to heaven. So if I'm here on this earth sucking in air, God still has work for me to do. God still has a mission for my life and a purpose for my life. And so I think too many times we get caught up in this idea of perfection. And that's probably that internal narrative stuff that I would, you know, the story I'm telling myself, story you tell yourself will be the life that you live. So what, what's the narrative that I'm creating? What I'm, what's my self-talk? And phrasing and, and wording is important for me because I'm not after perfection. I am after progression. I'm, in, I'm into to getting better. And I don't have to be the best today. What I am committed to do is getting better today. And I think 
over and over, the more I can like get that type of language in my mind, it helps me to get up and lead myself again. And vision produces disciplines and habits. And, you know, James Clear, I don't know if you've ever read his book, Atomic Habits, but mm, so good. phenomenal book. And he has this quote that we read it uh, two years ago. And I just think it's, he says, he says, people don't rise to the level of their goals. They fall to the level of their systems. Yeah. Great. There it is. And he says this thing, and it's powerful. Winners and losers have the same goal. So it's not the goal or just the vision. It's, it's backing that with practices and habits and systems. And so uh, in, in my life, it's like I want to I wanna attach habits to the vision that God's given me. And yeah. I think I'm constantly working on it. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet. You know, right. Carl's famous preaching line that I use all the time. I, you know, I'm not exactly where I want to be, but I'm, but I'm not where I used to be. Thank yeah. God. What a line. And, and that just gives you a yeah. – that kind of goes <sighs> – yeah, right. It's, it's, there's an exhale to that. And I was teaching our church uh, a year ago, and I, I talked about this concept. I think this is healthy in leadership, and it might differ. But I think most of us up here probably are like Devon in the sense that I think we're type A. We've got goals. We've got ambition. We want to get there. And so many times you can live all of life, and you can miss out on the joy of what's happening right now because you live with this phrase going, it should have been better. Yeah. The, I, I wrote the book. It, it should have been New York Times bestseller. Right. It, it, it was so close. Right. And I've, I've tried to change the, the phrase. I try to say, it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Hey, it could, you, you could have not written the book, brother. You know what I mean? It, it could have not been published. And psychologists have this thing. It's called, it's called the silver medal syndrome. And they did this study. And it's between, they studied gold medal winners, silver medal winners, and bronze medal winners. And they found out that bronze medal winners tend to be happier than silver medal winners. Why? Because they're on that podium and silver medal winners go, I was so close to gold. I was right there to gold. So good. I could have, I should have been better. Or the guy who got bronze is like, yo, we made it. Yeah, I was so close to not even get on this podium. It could have been worse. And I I, I want to live a little bit of life with that way, not to be apathetic, but to go, we're getting there, bro. We're, we're, we're staying on the journey. That and is so, so good. It's been helpful for me. I love that. I think, you know, you hit on something that's huge for the amazing people that have tuned in to watch this. I think this book is is so encouraging because we don't, as Christians especially, even if you're not, it applies to you. We don't have gurus. We have one. Jesus is the guru. So we live in a world that although, yeah, I do want to follow somebody who's been there, um, you're you're never going to arrive. So you can start right now. There's a lot of people I know who are like, I'm going to be ready to lead at some point. I got to fix this area. The moment you fix that area, there will be another that falls apart. So either you get the mentality that God's grace is enough. You, don't, you actually don't get to choose when you lead. <laughs> You're leading whether you know it or not. It's just which way. So once I realized that my broken self, it, it has been enlisted. I don't have the option to do all this in private. Sometimes you got to learn in public. And I've yet to follow a leader that I've been like, nah, they're working too hard on themselves. <laughs> not one time. Right. But there have been times I've looked at leaders and I'll go, I wonder if they're working at all. And I would rather follow somebody who is up front with, hey, help, I work with people. It's not like Chad Veach has arrived. He's cornered the market on people. No, this thing is a process. And so will your personal journey. So if anybody feels like you're not ready to lead, that's a lie. That's an internal narrative that has to go tonight. Get this book. Get the Bible in you. Start to realize that God's going to use you as you are. And you'll keep getting better as you go. So good. I'm, I'm grateful we got a, 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 an audience here that is picking up on how good that is. I love what you're saying. I want to end this uh, this segment. We got some more guests we're going to get to in just a moment. But I want to. I'm good on the gummies. But I, but I want to. I want to uh, ask you this question. One of the chapters is awkward is a gift. And really, what what we're talking about in that chapter is that like we're all so different. Just look at us up here. We're all different. There might be some similarities in in fashion or preference of sport or music, but we're so different. And one one of the lines that I really love is God didn't make you one way to use you another way. It's, life is about discovering my unique gift, getting comfortable in my own skin, and kind of seeing my awkward, my contrast as my genius. You know, I love that every human is a designer's original. When, when did you discover like, oh, I'm different, but I like me? Because I feel like, again, you said it. You can't serve others and build others until you first love yourself. Embrace your gift. Like, I know who I am. I'm a Hispanic guy with a great mustache, skinny legs. I can't sit Indian style. I just can't. Physically, I'm not flexible. 
my awkward is a gift. <laughs> Maybe we'll start with you, Rich. When did you d- kind of get comfortable in your skin? Um, I, I really think encountering Jesus, encountering the Holy Spirit, really, in terms of what produces security, what produces confidence. Um, once again, what I love about this book is this book is, is a gift to leaders to recognize that you're, you're called to serve people. And I think with what pastoring and whatnot, like I just think in the world that we live in, if you're not careful, it becomes all about you. And that's not what it's about. It's about, it's all about Jesus and people. And so I think my encounter with the Holy Spirit and recognizing that it's not my strength, yep. it's not my power, but, it, but it's yep. by the Spirit, and recognizing that I've been called to serve, mm. so relieves me of the pressure of, you know, all of my inabilities. Well, God's grace is what fills in the gaps. And once again, the gaps, as I get older, they don't depress me. They actually excite me because right. it's, it's, it's opportunities for progress. Right. And I think progress is the key, if we're going to use a, a secular or worldly word, Happiness, you know, like where does true happiness come from? Like it comes from the fact that I'm not where I was last year. I've I've taken steps, and so if I don't have any gaps today, if I don't have any deficiency, if I don't have any weaknesses, there's nothing to work on. There's nothing to improve. Right. And um, I think for me, when I felt comfortable in my own skin, is recognizing that all the things that I might interpret as flaws is actually what creates my distinctive competencies from Devon. All of what he can do that I can't do actually makes me unique. And it's like, well. I can serve somebody else that he can't serve. And right. so learning to... When he's eating kale. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm out there packing in the pounds, and this guy's uh, putting them up. So I, I, think it's, I think it's an important revelation, you know? I love that. Well, so many good thoughts, so many good nuggets. We're going to come back to this uh, group right here. What? Amazing, amazing, amazing. Hey, I absolutely loved our first section talking about leading ourselves. And I want to get into the second section of the book, which is really about others, how to serve others. You know, uh, the genesis of, of this whole book, you'll love this story. Pastor Craig, I was in Oklahoma City, and he asked me to have lunch. He saw I was there. He's like, can you have lunch tomorrow? For reference, Pastor Craig Rochelle, largest church on earth. On earth. Continue. And when he invited me, I was like, oh my gosh. So anyways, long story short, I go there and he's like, have you thought about writing a leadership book? And I was like, no, sir, I have, I have not thought about that. And he's like, you should. You're the, you're the perfect age. You're the perfect person. I think sometimes in order for us to step out, we need that nudge. And I really believe that is about leadership. Leadership is about believing in others, seeing the best in others, never seeing people where they are, but see people where they could be. Jesus is the best at this. He sees a guy in a tree and he's like, no, 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 no. Everybody else saw jerk, thief, punk. Jesus saw preacher and church builder. Potential friend. (laughs) Right. He said, you got to get down. We're going to have a meal. But Pastor Craig saw something in me that I didn't even really see in myself. And I said, if I'm going to write a book on leadership, I want to write what I think leadership is all about. And that's others serving others, adding values to others, equipping others, inspiring others. So I want to talk about the second section, which is people, people skills, relating with others, getting good with others. And I want to talk about this first thought. One of the chapters is manners maketh a leader. The value of manners. Talk to me about, Devon, we'll start with you, just how you've worked so well, the Hollywood commandments, one of your books, just about treating people with respect, treating people with kindness. How, how far has that taken you? And talk to me about some real values you have when it comes to manners. Yeah, you know, I mean, first of all, that part of the book, I mean, I, if you only, if someone took that part, they would make it, It'd be all right, right? Because that piece in and of itself is key, right? Because so often... It has nothing to do with someone's talent, nothing to do with their education, nothing to do with their potential, but everything to do with their attitude. Wow. Everything. That's everything. So and, and, you know, we've all heard the old adage, you know, attitude determines altitude. Wow. And, and in my experience, and I'll give you a quick, quick antidote for my story, but my experience, if you are kind, if you are, have manners, if you serve, you, you buy insurance for your mistakes. So here's, here's what I mean by wow. that. So I started as an intern, um, you know, working uh, at the company that managed Will and Jada and yeah. Puffy and Jennifer Lopez. And so I started my freshman year at high school. 
And uh, I mean, excuse my freshman year in college. And so I started there, you know, and my whole thing was the first day I got there, they gave me no instruction. So here I am going to USC, majoring business, minoring film, started this internship, no instruction. So I said, all right, well, you know, if I was at church, what would I do? I would serve. So I just went around and said, hey, what do you need filed? What's your, what are your coffee orders? What's your lunch order? So on and so forth. That's what I would do every day. Just get in there and serve, just take initiative. So long story short, I did this for a year. It wasn't until my sophomore year when I was interning there. And I had the chance to shadow uh, the person that I was working with, Benny Medina. Benny Medina is a legendary manager. To this day, he manages Jennifer Lopez. So Puffy was doing the, the uh, Soul Train Music Awards. And so I took Benny to the, to the award show for the rehearsal. Because the way that I was serving was driving him around. Now, some people may say, oh, that's crazy. No, I was an executive in training. Too many people don't want to start at the bottom because they think it's the bottom. No, you treat the bottom like it's the top and you'll get to the top. So here I am, drove him to the the award show. Long story short, when he wanted to go home to change, I went to the card and I pat my pockets and I can't find the key. And he looks at me from across the parking lot. And he goes like this. Now, Benny Medina is notorious. If Benny's watching, I love you, Benny, but he's a difficult guy. Amen. (laughs) He walks over to me and he says, what's the problem? I said, I can't find the key. He just looks at me and says, find it. I can never find the key. He has to stay there. They brought the, the spare key hours later from the office. I thought my job was over. He didn't talk to me the rest of the night. Couple days later, I don't get the call not to go in. So I end up going in. Nobody says anything. Weeks later. His assistant says, Devon, I got to tell you something funny. After you lost his key, Benny was in the office a couple days later, and your name came up. And he said, didn't I fire him? And someone said, no, you didn't fire Devon. You like him. And he's like, you're right. Wow. That internship, that one internship, has led me to this moment. Every job I've ever had was parlayed from that internship. If I didn't take that initiative, if I didn't serve, if I wasn't kind, if I didn't have manners, I would have never had the insurance to cover the mistake. And I may have disrupted my time and path in this business. So manners are key in order to manage your success. That is so good. That's good. (laughs) Let me just say this as well, just to kind of maybe silence, maybe an insecure thought or a critic. Um, If you look at Devon, you go, well, it's easy for him to say because he's stupidly handsome. And and, hey, um, I, I think in our culture, we put such a value on the way people look. And it's just not true. Like getting you being handsome might get you in the door, won't keep you in the room. No, it won't. Your character will get you in the door and get you keys to the whole house. So if there's someone who's like, well, you know, they are are already explaining away why they can't. That's the beautiful thing about character is that it's so much deeper, especially with the Holy Spirit's anointing. Um, It doesn't matter what you look like or whether you're cool or not. If you can get some of these things that really matter to people, um, they, they forget what you look like for better or for worse immediately because what you're doing is actually touching their soul. So for anybody who feels like maybe you don't look a certain way or don't have a certain vibe, I have never once, um, you know, been impacted in my soul um, and in, 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 in not felt that before I thought about the way somebody looked. And that's an important thing to say. And the second thing I would say is you're always who you are. There's nothing worse than being with somebody who treats somebody else one way and then somebody of clout comes about and they, and they, they, they look different. They talk different. Their posture is different. And you're like, wow, it's even happened on our small scale. Like if someone will treat you a certain way, then they find out what you do. All of a sudden they're all talkative and you're like, well, five minutes ago I was the same person, but you, you, you found out something that apparently gave me value. So now you want to switch it up. Those people don't last. You have to make a decision when it comes to people who you're going to be. I'm going to treat all people like they matter because they do. I'm going to love people like they are important because they are. Because you can't suddenly become somebody you've never been. So if you're not, if you think you can just tread over people and then at some time you're going to get this big breakthrough moment and be kind. It's called Hollywood Shallow. We know you. We see you. People can feel that. And I think there's something to be said. You're phenomenal at this. Rich is amazing at that. And sometimes you guys will get notoriety for the famous people that you know. Um, But people don't know that sometimes God will entrust you with an entire street because you treat every block the same. 
you know, it's not like, oh, this person's special. I'm going to be kind to them. Like, I've seen you give that same Chad Veach eye contact and smile to somebody no one will ever hear about. It's the same smile you have when you meet somebody the world thinks is special. And I think that's why a book like this um, in, the, in, the, in the Ten Hollywood Commandments, all I think about when people say that is Biggie, Ten Crack Commandments. Um, <laughs> this, that's... That's really um, good. But I think the, these things are, it's so encouraging. Tonight, I, I feel encouraged to even remind my own soul about how much in this life we can actually learn and crush. You can't stop it. I don't care if someone tries to marginalize you. I don't care if someone tries to push you down. Like, if you do the right thing, it will eventually lead you to the right spot. And, but you got to make your decision now about who you're going to be. How are you going to love people? Even if somebody can't help you, do these principles apply? So Are you good. still going to reach out to somebody who can do nothing for you in return? Yeah. It's anti-Hollywood. It's anti-cool culture. It. But it's absolutely, you know, God's call for our lives. Yeah. I love that. Rich, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I just love this idea that these things, manners, um, it, it's, it's not like you don't have to be uber talented to do these things. No. I think so often it's like we focus on things that we can't do. We don't focus on things that we can do. And the, the reality of it is, is that if you're always adding value to people, you just become more valuable to people. And I think that those that are watching the night that are wanting to grow in their leadership, I know there's so many people that are tuning in right now with all types of different forms of influence, whether you're running an organization, um, maybe you just started a job, maybe you're in school. The principles in this book, which are all Bible-based principles, are going to help sharpen you to be the leader that God's called you to be. But like this idea of manners, you've got to catch this revelation. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Like it's just over and over again. People don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel like these things that we know. And I think one of the things that I just learned as a young leader, and it's probably from my dad. Um, my dad was an itinerant preacher and he was an excellent communicator on the platform. But I remember the thing that he was even better at was that I would go to lunch with the pastors afterwards. And my dad was a genius at the dinner table at just telling stories. And I feel like he won at the dinner table almost even more than he won at the pulpit. So good. And guys just so loved him and were so encouraged by him that it, they continued to have him and continue to let him speak value into their life. And my dad taught me a principle about encouragement, that encouragement is free to give, but priceless to receive. And I want to be a person that's putting courage inside of others around me. Yeah. And sometimes it's as simple yeah. as putting the focus on them instead of on you. Everybody loves the sound of their own name. Yeah. Devon, tell me what you're even. And Devon does this. So what we're talking, he's like, well, sh tell me what's going on in my, Please how you been don't leading? don't break the social distancing yeah, thing. Yeah, sorry. Sorry I touched you. I apologize. <laughs> sorry, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I, I think what I learned from watching my dad was ask questions. You know what I mean? Like truly like, like if you're interested in what somebody else is doing, well, that, that makes them feel valued by you. And so those are the ideas of manners. Please, thank you. But looking someone in the eyes, engage. Don't just be present. Be engaged. Oh my goodness, this is like, this is like leadership 101. People, it's just actually engage with who's in front of you. And I, I love that thought you just said. I'm gonna take that the idea of if you'll treat the bottom like it's a top. You'll get to the top. Like it's it's how you do one thing, it's how you do everything. And so uh, nobody on earth has ever been like, stop encouraging me. Ever. Yeah. And I think it's such a it's such a powerful thing it, to even go back to what you said before about awkwardness. The difference between something being awkward and a fashion trend is confidence. So as a leader, like the shoes you have on. Right. <laughs> you, you know, you know what Kanye, you know, Kanye, confidence. so one person's dork is another person's guru. What was yep. the difference? Somebody taught them how to believe in a dream. Right. And so we live in this lemming society where people are looking to follow stuff. But like right. one guy over here, I'm awkward. The other guy's like, I got the, I got a, my, my legs been broke and it turns into a swag walk that the dude markets. Other guys are afraid to walk in public. What's the difference? It's somebody, maybe a pastor, maybe somebody in office who said, man, you, you, got, a, you got a great posture. You got, I mean, it, but our culture is designed to find the wrong things. We are Christians. We should flip the whole thing. I will find something about that awful person yes. to compliment. That's right. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. You have great shoelaces. <laughs> it's a habit right right but, see, but on this point which I think is really important especially for anybody watching right now especially with this millennial generation here is what I experience because I hire a lot of millennials you know through my company and I get a chance to experience and have a lot of you know time this idea of entitlement Man. Yeah. Yeah. 
works against this concept of manners. Please and thank you and appreciation and gratitude. That will position you for doors in your career to fly off the hinges. When you come into something and say, well, you know, I'm 22, I'm 23, I'm 24, I'm 25, whatever the age is, and I'm supposed to have, right? Because I've been encouraged. I've had a good pastor at home, and I've been encouraged. I'm, I'm a child of God. Great. But guess what? Jesus said to the disciples, go get me that water. I got to wash your feet. As, so your, as your leader, I have to serve. Right. Too often in this millennial generation, this entitlement is destroying yep. the potential yep. in so many because they expect, well, this is what is expected. And then if they don't get it in a certain amount of time, oh, well, I'm going to go on to another job. And they don't spend enough time to be able to grow. Manners is not just in what you say. It's in how you do it. It's in how you work. It's in how you live. And, and I, I promise that this generation gets this concept a please and thank you and appreciation and gratitude as you talk about in the book, there, there will be no opportunity they won't get because people want to work with people who appreciate. That's right. Think about all the people in your church and your organizations that you promote, that you want to give a shot. They are probably the most appreciative. Yep. They are the ones that care the most. They serve the most. And you will bend over backwards as a That's leader. Right to make sure that those, if even if you don't have a place for them in your organization, you're going to call, you're going to make sure they're situated. Why? Because they had enough manners to say thank you. How many people have you blessed and helped? They didn't even write a thank you note. Right. Can I just say that real quick? Send a thank you email. If someone does something for you, better yet, go handwrite it. Yes. Thank you, Pastor Chad. Yes. Thank you, Pastor Carr. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Write it down because this generation has a handful of gimme. And they have Ooh. a mouthful of, mm, well, maybe I'll thank wow. you later. Fantastic. And it should be opposite of that. That is hand, so good. A handful of gimmies. I got a handful of gummies. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got, a, you got a breast pocket full of gummies. Let's go. <laughs> that is a fantastic. Such a good word. I think what's an interesting concept, even just what you're talking about, on one hand, you've got the idea that if you want a quick, you know, like, hey, if you want an actual hack, we're going to give you a hack. Uh, say thank you. Right. You'll be remembered. Like, there, there's, there, on the other side of your thank you, there's, Doors are open. Maybe you're one thank you away from your breakthrough. On the other side, which is the leadership side, you better get ready to keep doing what you're called to do without the thank you. You you think about Jesus. He heals 10 lepers. Nine never come back. One comes back. Meaning, here's a good math ratio. uh, 90% of what you do as a leader goes unthanked. It, it doesn't get noticed. And so there has to be something deeper, once again, that's, yeah. that's motivating you. That's right. I want to be the person that says the thank you, and I want to be the person who continues to do my job when I don't get thanked. So good. So uh, I'm sorry. It's so good, though. I think, you know, it goes back to what you said about systems. You fall back on your systems, right? So it can be, it can be a habit. Like Laura has on her phone, you know, pops up every day. Find the gold in somebody. So she doesn't need it anymore. It's a habit. And I think eventually your habits, if you can learn how to make sure that that's actually a real part of what you do every single day. I'm going to thank people. I'm going to – it becomes pervasive. I know in our culture in New York City, um, I'm from Virginia. And so that kind of, it would come from a place where you should have manners. One time I opened the door for a woman in New York. She was like, "Um, are you opening the door because I'm a woman? And I went, no, I'm opening the door because I'm from Virginia. (laughs) Like, sorry, it's just the way it is. I'm going to stand here all day, right? And so uh, my dad said, if you don't know what to call somebody, call them sir. Sir, you can't go wrong with. And so someone was at our church, and, and one of my staff guys said, sir. And they're like, oh, you're one of those pastors where have people call you sir. And then they hung out for a little while longer, and they heard everybody call everybody sir. Because it's a contagious respect where it's like, I don't know your name, so rather than bro, I'm not going to assume, sir, how you, sir, it's good to see you. And those kind of habits, they become contagious, and they're, they're so, our, our culture is so void of just base level kindness that if you're just a little bit kind, you Stand will be a like star. <laughs> if you're just a little bit That's thoughtful, who is the, who's the thoughtful guy? Right, right, right. And, and, and there's a powerful biblical word that we should all be leaning to, which is the idea of a culture of honor. Yeah. And we live in a dishonoring place, so right. entitlement, things of that nature. Honor, once again, as you study in the scripture, it always unlocks the supernatural. Yeah. There's always this, like, what does Jesus say? He says, oh, like, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. In that same text, he was unable to do many miracles. Yeah. 
And I just believe over and over again, I don't honor you because you deserve honor. I honor you because I'm honorable. And it comes back to the identity of what it is that you're carrying and who you are, that I want to be a person who adds value. I want to elevate who you are. You're not just bro. You're not just... That's right. So when you're saying... I want to make sure people are catching that, that there's there's a true value statement there and how you view people and how you see them, that you want to elevate person. You want to put value on them. And as I'm valuing you, I really believe, not my intention is this, but ultimately you're going to look back and go, that that guy's valuable in my life. I, I want... Rich just adds value to my life. He encourages me. Rich yeah. is, cares about what I'm, what I'm doing. It's just the result of living a life of honor. Before we cut the commercial break, yes. first of all, how great is that photo? Yeah, my goodness. It, that's Chad Beach. I want to get that tattooed. Um, so I don't, there, there's a chapter in here about the most important currency. I think it's chapter, what is it, 15. And it's got this part in here about relational equity. And you talk about withdrawals, deposits. And what's funny to me is that like, it, it's, if you can get this to the point, I think it was the great theologian, Janet Jackson, <laughs> who said, you know, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. And it's a difference between an act and a lifestyle. So as a leader, I know we try to make sure, like, you know, there's people amazing. It's always filled with the best leaders in the world. Well, you can see people serve so much, you take it for granted. Bus drivers drive buses so much, you can take them for granted. The, the spouse that you committed your life to, you love them so much, you can take them for granted. And I think there's something to be said for people who are so diligent with honor and esteem that it's a habit and it changes your life. Like I'm looking to hire people that don't just say thank you once. Like they always are saying thank you. They're not honorable one time in the spotlight. They're honorable all the time. And I think that's one of the things that stuck out to me in this book is just to recommit myself to say, you know what, like things I believe in. I, I, I did thank that guy two years ago at a volunteer thank you night. But I don't know if I... Hey, let me go back and thank you again. Yeah. You can't overthink somebody. I've never once had someone in my church say, you know, hey, thanks for the message. I'm like, I've heard it today. Don't need it. No, it's, thank you so much. No, it means something. I know you all hear it all the time, but thanks for saying what you said. No, we don't hear it all the time. Thank you so much for your heartfelt thanks. And there's just there's so much power in being a Christian that has nothing to do with money has nothing to do with social esteem. It has to do with supernatural, you know, gathering of, of principles that Jesus has laid out there. There's really nothing that can stop us if we get this. So good. So well said. And I feel like we could talk on this section of the book for so long. Well, I, I wish we had more time to unpack conflict resolution because I think it's like we can all have manners. But what happens when does, someone does get offended? Someone does leave you, betray you. You're in an abusive relationship. What happens there? Mm. And um, so we come cover so much in this section, but I love everything that we covered here. We're going to get to the third section and more guests in just a moment. Amazing, amazing. We are going to jump into the third section. So the third section of the book, and we're talking about how to lead teams. So we talked about first section. If you miss, you're just tuning in. We're talking about how to lead yourself how to lead people, and then now we're going to talk about how to lead groups. And uh, all three of you lead businesses, organizations, uh, tons of people, but not just, leadership is never just one-on-one. What I love about Jesus, we're talking about him a lot tonight because he's the greatest leader that ever walked the face of the earth. How could you not follow a leader that looks at his guys and he goes, guys, I got to keep going to that city because I'm going to die on a cross for you. Leadership is about saying, I exist for you. I exist for your better. All my authority, I'm going to give to you. That's a great leader. So I love that the first thing Jesus did when he really started his leadership, we call it ministry, is he built a team. And he built, built a team with some people that maybe not everybody else, you know, valued and thought was great. But Jesus saw, I always think leadership is about believing in people. And sometimes God opens your eyes to see greatness in people that maybe others can't see. So Jesus builds, you know, some tax collectors, some fishermen, and he builds this team. I want to talk about culture and chemistry. I think great teams have phenomenal culture, and they work to have great chemistry. Culture, uh, they say in leadership, is that thing that eats vision and strategy for breakfast. Or they say culture trumps everything. But culture is that thing that allows us to have great chemistry. You know, leadership, you got to have character, you got to have competence, you got to have charisma. But I always think chemistry is such a big deal. Talk to me, whoever wants to go first, talk to me about culture and the chemistry of teams. 
We have voted for Devon to go first. I vote for the Devon. <laughs> Ten Crack Commandments, a.k.a. Hollywood Megastar, a.k.a. Preacher, mogul, mogul, business leader extraordinaire. Yes, you are. Yes. Over to you, sir. Okay, okay, I'll take it. None of that, but just a humble servant. Um, you know, this is, this, is, this is like probably, in my experience, one of the hardest things to do. Because, you know, as a leader, you have an idea in your head and you have an expectation that sometimes the team can see it, right? So, so inadvertently, if we as leaders don't work on communication, we can create a culture right where there's an expectation but it's never clarified so that that culture can absolutely be dysfunctional so a lot of times leaders sometimes have the most dysfunctional culture because they really don't work on communicating we don't work on communicating what's in our head to the team it is impossible sometimes in my experience you know for team members to they may get it but unless you make it clear they may not really understand it right so when it comes to culture it really comes back down to what are the values what are the principles yeah you know what do we stand for what does the leader stand for right. what does the organization stand for what is the vision where are we going and so right. sometimes as leaders and i've been guilty of this i'm so quick to get to point from point a to point b i have not taken enough time to instill what's the culture wow and when i've done that what happens is the culture is the soil yeah and when there's no, when the culture's not good, the people can't grow. Yeah. Don't matter how good the chemistry is. Right. You could have great chemistry in a team, but a terrible culture will kill the chemistry. Jeez. So as the leader, I realize I'm responsible for the soil. Because God is the one that gave me the vision for, like, in my instance, it's like my company. You know, I have Franklin Entertainment. It's an entertainment company. I have a deal uh, to make films with Paramount and Netflix and a TV deal with CBS. Very and, casual. Man, listen, it's just, you know, it just is what it, it is. is. You know what, what I mean? People. I'm at the very beginning. I'm growing. Is, <laughs> yeah, we're live on YouTube Yes, right I was now. on Rich's Sounds show. great, Devon. Yes, great. I was on Rich's show. I was thankful to be one of the guests on the show. It was a good show. Y'all go YouTube, it's Rich very... Wilkerson Jr. and Devon Franklin. You're going to see us way back in the day. But, but it, it, it goes to when I wasn't focused on the culture and that yeah. soil, and I was just like, let's get the movies done, and this is what I want to do, the people could not grow. So then what happened was not only did the people not grow, but I became increasingly frustrated. And I was like, well, why am I frustrated? Because I'm not spending any time articulating what this place is about, what I'm about, what I want to do. So God gave me a chance to basically, like in a year, everybody that worked for me left. In a year. Wow. And almost everyone working for me now is brand new. So I said, okay, I got to start working on the culture. So as I've worked on the culture, then everyone gets the culture. Oh, this is what his heart is. This is what he's trying to do. Got right. it. And then the chemistry piece is critical. This is so important. Chemistry is about, as the leader, seeing who fits where. Yep. But then you got to let everybody get in that soil and work with each other. Right. You got you to gotta let everybody gel because sometimes yeah. what happens is as a leader, you don't let your team co congeal because you're so focused. Oh, get here. Do this. Do that. You're so busy sending orders. You don't just spend time just to kick it. Right. I, I, we, we don't have nothing to do today. Let's just kick it. What's going on with you? How you feeling? What's going on with your heart? Spending just a little bit of time with the people to build that chemistry is critical. And that culture really comes from communication in my experience. So good. I love everything that you said. Any thoughts from you guys on that culture and chemistry? I think Rich is honestly one of the premier um, culture builders in any sphere I've ever seen. Absolutely. I mean that. No, I mean that. I think that um, you don't even realize it often, but what you've done uh, in Miami, I think, you know, for those of you who don't know, VU is uh, it, it's one of those movements that you feel. Some right. movements you hear about, but you walk into VU and in, there's a culture and it's very hard. People try to copy it. What they don't understand is it's not an, it's not like a practice. It's a principle. Right. So, yeah, I, I would love to hear what you have to say about it. Well, I think From culture, I appreciate, style, I appreciate no, those kind can you, of words. Can you go to Indian style? It's the last segment, bro. Go last all segment. in. Oh, man, I think I gained weight sitting yeah. up here somehow. <laughs> I don't know. Like in between some of these breaks, I've had some of the uh, it says skinny popcorn, but I don't feel that way. Um, I. I Culture is one of these things that I feel like I obsess over, but it's still so hard to describe because yeah. it's invisible. Mm -hmm. And it, ultimately, culture is how does everyone behave? That's it. That's what your culture is. So culture is either happening by design or by default. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a culture. 
there's a culture to your home, you know, there's a culture to your friendships, um, there's a culture to your family, there's a culture to your organization. And so um, paying attention to it's really, really important. I, I think basic principles that I would just say to people out there as you're creating that, as you're developing that, is it, it always starts, with, we've been saying this the whole time, it starts with you. So you got to be it yep. before you see it. So what do you want to see? You got to be that. So like define what you want to be. And then I, I think number two would be, yeah, you, you, you got to define it. So like, don't, it's just not, you're not going to stumble up. You have to define it or it will just happen and it'll happen in a way that you didn't want it to happen. So defining values at Vu church, we have seven church values, which is for our church, what we're about. Then we've got seven staff values, make it better, take it personally, replace yep. yourself, yep. work together, um, celebrate constantly. These things become what we hold each other accountable to. Right. So if I'm going to correct something, if, Devon's on our team, I'm not just correcting something based upon my feeling or my experience. I'm attaching it back to something that we signed up to and we prescribed together and said, hey, I thought we were about working together. It doesn't feel like you're about collaborating. It seems like you think your idea is really precious, but ideas aren't precious around here. Wow. We, we share ideas. And I think as we're saying that, this is where people get lost. And Sometimes people are really good at just casting vision, but they're not good at confronting yep. that which is toxic. And you can't change what you fail to confront. That's it. And you get what you allow. <laughs> and uh, you can't change what you tolerate. I think sometimes we just tolerate like, the toxicity or the problems on our teams. And it takes leaders to come in there and, and say, no, 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 wait a minute. Let's go back to who we are. And so yeah. in many ways, I feel like it's like parenting. I'm, I'm a brand new p parent, but I've got some friends who've been really good dads. Like if you go to the culture of the Lenses home, yeah. I don't know if Carl can define and tell you exactly exactly how that all came about, but I know he's got some principles that he guides his children by. Right. And when you come into it, you can feel the Lenses family. And there's a culture to it. I think yeah. it's the same thing with your organization. It's, yeah. it's coming out of who you are and it's constantly going back to this thing that you're, you're defining over and over. And you can't talk about it enough. Right. It's not like you do a talk. It's like, well, we did our culture talk this year. No, it's right. like, it has to ooze out of you. You have to live Always. this thing out all the time. Yeah. I think, you know, if, if people are just tuning in now and they're trying to figure out culture because it's one of those terms where everyone has their own definition right. the way it was explained to me and that i still live by vision is who you think you are culture is who you really are <laughs> that is so good so when you see a culture yeah that you can't f fix a culture you have to go back and fix a principle because yep. it's a product that's what your culture is so if you go to new york you're gonna walk around you're gonna see a lot of flat bill hats no one picked that. You can just immediately go, oh, we're in New York. Yep. You come to L.A., you're going to see maybe some red hats at a different angle. That's the culture, right? So if you walk into a church or a business and you feel something in that culture, a lot of people just deal with it because they don't know that you can fix it. So if you have a culture of casual, everyone's casual, you said something. You casted that, yeah, and now right. you're seeing the product of it. So for me, if I walk in, I'm like, man, I, something in our culture. I think our church is welcoming, mm. but the culture is all the same faces. Yeah, right. right. Which means something is wrong yeah. on a base level. So right. to me, culture is who we really are. That's right. Not who I think I am. Not what I want to say. Our family is right. now. The culture is what happened at the dinner table. That's it. Right. It's the product of what you say. That's right. So it's really encouraging. It can be really convicting as well. Because if you don't like a culture in a city, not much. You can do about it right but if it's something that you own especially the culture help i work with people the culture yep. is something that can be cultivated and I, I think right now what we're facing in america in in terms of a racial divide we are very upset at our culture this is a cultural problem so we need to pour oil of healing over these wounds but we've got to fix the culture there's a cultural problem no, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no is, but so, I was just going to say, you know, our hearts are with Jacob Blake and his family and everything yeah. that he's facing and with Wisconsin. But to be honest, across the country, our hearts exactly. are, are we, we being a leader is having empathy. And, and you can't, I just don't think you could be a great leader. One of the, again, going back to Jesus, he's the prime example of what it means to be a great leader. One of my favorite stories, he shows up in Nain, which is a nowhere town, and this lady's got a dead son, and before he raises him up, he cries with her. Because he, it says he had compassion on her. Well, why does he have compassion? Because he is compassion. 
Right. Leadership is who you are, right? right? Yeah. But we are facing a cultural problem in our country, and we've got to stand up against the culture and say, no, 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 we're not going to allow this. How do we get, I love that the phrase that you use, vision is who you want to be, culture is who you are. And we mm-hmm. have a cultural problem, and we need to continue to say this culture, mm-hmm. we, I think great leadership is policing the culture. Mm. It really is. It's holding people accountable to the vision that we set. We have a we have a we have a vision in our nation to be a, a phenomenal people that love and embrace humanity and encourage one another. But we don't see it, and that's why we got to address the culture. So with uh, Jacob Blake, for instance, we have um, you know a culture in America. You can choose your culture, right? There's a culture that I reject, and right. that culture is what did he do? The culture. What did right. he do though? Let's wait till all the facts come out. I reject that culture. I want to be a part of a culture that goes, a man died. Great. A man died again. Let's work from there. Yep. And, and we have, a, we have a, a godless American culture right. that thinks it's something that it's not. And I think that's why when you look at it from the lens of a Christian leader, you go, you know what? I don't want that culture. That, that culture is the lowest con- common denominator. It's the right. least caring. It's the right. least empathetic. So I don't look at that and, and just point at it. I go, let me check my world real quick. Right. Because I can't control all that. But is my house like that? If something goes mm. wrong, are we looking for excuses first? Are we trying to deflect? Wow. Are we being wow. defensive? No. You know what, Lord? Let me take this home. I want our culture to be empathetic first, passionate second motivated third great desperately relentlessly you know intense just looking to change fourth like i want to have these steps in order and i think um, when you see our culture like it is right now um that's why we're encouraged even though we're we're weary we're encouraged because we have the keys we know jesus we have the right to change culture everybody else has to live in it and they try to kind of tolerate it and figure it all out i want no part to that i want to change the culture so good and we do that you know, coming into it, not just living, existing in it. That's a, that's a Romans 12 thing. Do not be conformed right. to this garbage that you see. That's the, that's the other translation. <laughs> that's the other translation. That is so good. And I love that. You know, we have to address mm. the culture and get, I, I, I think this about uh, teams. Uh, I heard Bishop Jake say one time, a family that doesn't meet together will never score a touchdown together. Mm. One, of the, one of the chapters in the book is meetings matter. And one of my favorite books I read years ago for Patrick Lencioni is uh, Death by Meeting. There is nothing worse than being in a bad meeting. We've all been in a bad meeting. We're oh, like, I man. wish this thing ended. I wish you were prepared. I wish we. I wish you would have prepared some food for us. Just a bad meeting. There's nothing worse. Oh, church services that have bad meetings. We just. We've all been in bad meetings. Yeah. Uh, going back to rich and culture, I think rich dominates great meetings. Talk to me about great teams that want to score a touchdown together, but we got to have some meetings. Got to huddle up and get on the same uh, page for the play we're about to run. Talk to me about what is a good meeting, in your opinion. <laughs> a good meeting. Well, I think Patrick Licioni says that meetings should be like movies. Wow. And movies, you know, at max are about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. Has, and has Patrick ever planted a church in I'm not sure if Patrick has. <laughs> but I think there's something to what he says, and that is that great movies have two things, conflict and climax. Mm. And I think that too often... We get into meetings and there should be, you want to have a team that's not just saying yes to everything. You want to have a team that cares. One of our values in our culture is take it personally. Mm -hmm. Meaning that what you're doing is not some task, but we have a mission here. We we are the church of Jesus Christ. And so hopefully you do have an opinion about what it is that we're talking about. Hopefully this thing that we're meeting about matters enough that you have some feeling attached to it enough to voice it. So you shouldn't shy away from the confrontations. You should just create healthy culture of how you bring resolution to that. And there should be a climate. There should be a resolution. There should be things that you're solving that you don't don't just deliberate, deliberate, deliberate. At some point you got to make a decision. And so I, I think for meetings for us, we're constantly working on it. I think at different seasons of our church, we've We've had too many meetings. Um, sometimes there's not enough meetings. But ultimately, when you're moving people, you have to, if you will, you have to prime the pump. There has to be something smaller that's going to create something bigger. And uh, the meeting, I think, is, is the first starting point so often about where the vision's coming from, what the plan is, what is it you're trying to execute. But I think for us, we're looking to build a healthy team. And that healthy team for me is going, man, we care about what, what it is that we're talking about. Yep. This meeting matters to the point that we're debating. And we're going to have discussion, and then there's going to be a decision being made. And, uh, and Devon, I wonder if you have a thought on this as well. Like with, with going back to race issues of our culture, 
what we saw in the white evangelical churches that we're a part of was talking about race, it's not a part of the culture. So wow. anytime something that's natural seems unnatural, you better change your culture. So this sh it shouldn't have been the biggest deal in the world to go, hey, who feels like you're not welcome? You know, who feels if wow. you're black in here, who feels like your voice is suppressed? Like, there's so many people trying to scramble because it's so foreign. I think sometimes God will shine a light on things that are, you know what? Grace shouldn't be foreign in your culture. Um, someone failing and getting up again, that shouldn't be an anomaly. No, so good. Like, okay, we have a racial crisis in America. This fits right into our, our, our church culture. We embrace tension here. We yeah. want hard conversations. This is nothing for us. Let's go. Let's talk. Let's line it up. Let's check our checks and balances. Let's see if we're being who we say we're. It's great. And so I think sometimes we have to embrace conviction more because culture is something you can change. So if you see something like, wow, you know what? This racial stuff has really exposed the fact that our culture doesn't have any of it in it. So right. we need to jump right in. But what's interesting about what you're saying, right, which is true, but let's let's go even deeper when we talk about culture, especially, you know, the faith culture or the Christian culture. What is happening, right, is that we currently live in a country that the leadership has, not even by people of that are not of faith, they would say that the leadership in the country currently is directly related to a large group of people of faith backing this leadership. Okay, so to be that as it may, when you look at the culture, What's happening is that the culture of the kingdom has been exchanged for the culture of the party. And what happens is that we as the body of Christ, uh, Matthew 24, 2014, excuse me, Matthew 24, 14 says, for this gospel of the kingdom will be preached for witness unto all nations that men the end shall come. How can I witness to someone about who Jesus is if I allow the culture of the kingdom to be compromised in how I vote? How can I witness and say, you got to have a relationship with Jesus, but the, my evidence of my relationship with Jesus is in policies that do not represent the least of these. How can I say, oh, if you don't have Jesus, you're not going to make it. And I'm trying to get somebody to come into this Christian culture, but the Christian culture has promoted an agenda that's not for everybody. How can I say, oh, you know what? You got to become Christian because it's the best life ever. But I can't say black lives matter. Oh, no, that's too political. So when you talk about what's going on in this country and the challenges we face in the culture, I believe it's the problem in the church that the body of Christ is sick. The culture of the church is sick because if we got healed, that we can control and influence what happens in the country. So too often we take what, what, what the culture of the kingdom should be and say, well, I'd rather have favor in a party. I'd rather have favor in the White House. And, you know, we'll put the culture to the kingdom aside. If we as the body of Christ said we're not going to align with any party, liberal or conservative, Democrat or Republican, and we are going to be vigilant about holding every politician and every person we vote for according to the kingdom of God, things would change overnight. But too often the body of Christ wants power down here at the exchange of authority up there. Wow. When exactly are you going to run for some sort of an office? <laughs> right. Can I right, say something, right, Chad? Right. Hold on. Yes, please. So, Absolutely. Here's the beautiful thing about this. Um, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Um, it could be prophetic. I'm kidding. I make it too heavy. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, what, why I love this book is because let's just say you're watching right now and you don't control the culture. You are the ultimate culture carrier. What I mean by that sure. is you could be in the most boring meeting. If Chad and Julia walk in, you know what? Time. It's like something funny is going to happen. <laughs> Julia might dance, the, even yeah. though there's no music. You might uh, say something that's ridiculously funny, like you're a culture carrier. So if you want to be pervasive in a culture that you feel is oppressive, maybe you work in a bad work environment, that's why Chad wrote this thing. Because I can bring a little bit of the kingdom of God into this broken office. Yeah. And guess who wins? Yeah. The kingdom of God. Yeah. The Holy Spirit. It, one, as, as true as it is that one bad apple can spoil everything, one culture carrier 
can change an entire office, can change an entire um, locker room, can change an entire school. And that's why I I just I'm so glad you did this, because if, if someone were to really rip through this thing and read it, they would stand out. Because it's like, it. man, that's not our culture here to be kind. Yeah. But it seems fun. You know, <laughs> that, that guy, it, it, all of a sudden something right. stands out. So that's why I'm, I'm glad um, that you wrote this. Uh, uh, thank you very much. I think that, you know, we're trying to just lean in. The, the hell part is not about them. The help is me. I work with people. And I got to get really good. We all have influence. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. We all, have, we all work with people. We got to get really good. Because otherwise, we're just, I, I've been saying it every single interview this whole time during the press, is that you can't do life well if you do people wrong. You just can't. It's impossible to do life well and do people wrong. And I think, just as you were saying that, it's so, this is, this is one of my favorite lines in the book. If you just communicate, <laughs> if you just communicate, you can get by. It's, it's like the truth. Okay, but if you just communicate, you can get by. But if you communicate skillfully, you can work miracles. And I think working with people is about saying, like, look, I know who I am. My awkward is a gift, and I want to get good at leading people and communicating and, and, and to the best of my ability, shifting the culture. So I think one more time we should give it up for our guys being here tonight. Thank them. Throw some emojis. This is unbelievable. Um... I just want to, <laughs> I just want to encourage every person. Um, this next segment is so important because, again, leadership is about people. And and our sponsors tonight, we want to thank Ark, we want to thank Child Fund, we want to thank our sponsors so much tonight. 